Great. Okay, functional faith. Stewie's already referenced it. He's been getting a lot out of this series. This is week five. So if you're here for the first time, you're joining us in week five, this will make sense, I promise. However, it'll make even more sense if you go back and listen to the first four weeks of this series. And you can do that through our Elevate app. I'll come back to that in a moment and just listen to the podcasts of the series from that. Let me start with a question. Now, some of you may have heard the cliche, people don't like change. Has anyone heard that cliche, people don't like change? Okay, I called BS on that a long, long, long time ago because it's simply not true. And here's why I know it's not true. Who likes this word? Progress. Ah, see what I did there? You cannot have progress without change because progress infers change. See, now, what's really true isn't that we don't like change, it's that we don't like change that we don't like. But we like progress because progress is progress. What I've discovered though is progress very rarely, very rarely, sometimes it does it very rarely happens on its own. It actually needs some input or as Renati's cousins would say, inputs. Um, and uh, one of the inputs that progress requires is this, effort. Now, the more mature of you here today will say, that's great, Mark. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Progress requires effort. But I am acutely aware that this is breaking news for some of you, that some of you maybe want to ace the exam without doing the study. Maybe some of you wanna burn something off without moving what you got. And I'm here to tell you the honest truth that progress requires effort. That said, effort alone doesn't guarantee progress. There are people that go to my gym five, six days a week, put in some effort, but they look exactly the same as they did five years ago because oftentimes effort alone isn't enough. What we need in addition to effort, last time I used this whiteboard, I had some very, very, very basic spelling issues. And so I'm gonna write slower and try to not talk while I'm writing. Effort, plus direction is more likely to guarantee progress. About two years ago, my uh, swim squad that I'm a part of, uh, we were preparing for triathlon season. The, the, the spring had sprung and uh, we're getting ready for the summer race season. And so uh, what we would do is once a week, instead of meeting at our, at our local pool and, and following the black line, uh, we would go to the Bicton Baths, a guaranteed shark-free open water swimming environment and uh, it didn't really matter if it was shark-free. Swimming groups always carry a knife. If you see a shark, stab your friend. The shark will eat him, <laughs> you swim away. No worries, mate. Anyway, Bicton Baths, and uh, we, meet, we meet there. We're meeting there. Uh, it, was a, it was actually a public holiday on this particular instance a couple of years ago. 7 a.m. was the start time. So as my father groomed me to understand that if you're on time, you're already late. So being early is being on time. So it started at seven, 
I get there at 6.45. I'm the first to arrive. I'm in, I've borrowed Louis' car and uh, Bicton's just a wee bit out of Vesper distance. And I'm sitting there in, in the car bay waiting for the, the rest of the, of, the, of the squad to arrive and the coach to arrive. And just listening to a bit of music, whatever. And uh, I've got reasonably good peripheral vision, terrible <laughs> straightforward vision, it's strange to me. Very, quite good peripheral vision. And so I, I noticed, in the, in, I'm in the, in the driver's seat, I noticed in the wing mirror, this, this car just starting to pull into the bay next to me. And, and I saw a very ominous sign in, in, in the mirror. It was, a, was a, an L, black, well, it wasn't an L, it was flipped around the other way because it's in the mirror. It was a black L with a yellow background. And the person in that car was about to attempt to park next to me, and I was horrified at the prospect. So I sat there, holding my breath, and I watched as this car, well, not only did they get closer and closer kind of into the frame of the wing mirror, they actually, at first pass, hit the wing mirror. But, but that's okay, because, because wing mirrors these days, they got a little bit of uh, spring mechanism in, so... It was just their wing mirror hitting my wing mirror. So we're good, we're good. Nobody got hurt, it's fine. They reverse out. They have another go, clip, clip. Wing mirror hits wing mirror again. <laughs> they reverse out. They have a third go, you know, third time lucky, or in this case, three strikes you're out because wing mirror <laughs> hit wing mirror again. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just sitting here, there's a girl from my swim squad and her, and her uh, instructor mother. Hold that thought. And, um, and the next thing that happens is I hear a knock on the passenger window. And the girl that was driving had, had, had wound her window down to knock on my passenger window to get my attention. And I cheated, I, you've, sweetheart, you've had my attention for about seven minutes now, okay. <laughs> so I, so I, I down, down the, the window and... Um, and she says, uh, she says to me, um, I'm not very good at parking. And I said to her, damn straight. <laughs> she said, uh, would, you, would you be able to park my car for me? And I'm like, and I, I'm some, look, you know, this isn't a full service swim squad, mate, you know. I got some swimming to do. I'm not here to valet your car. And I said, well, why don't you, why don't you get your mum to park it? Now, I, I forgot to mention that this family is of Asian extraction, which <laughs> explains most of the story up to this point. Um, <laughs> hey, 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 hey. I know we've got some people of Asian descent here. I love you, but your driving sucks. <laughs> And, 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 and see, and here's the thing. Listen, listen, whiteies, the Asians aren't offended. They know their driving sucks. It's, 
It's, it's a means of national pride in some countries in Southeast Asia. Louis and I flew into LAX one time. We got picked up by a friend of ours. She's Korean. She picked us up curbside at LAX. We got into the car. Before she'd even taken off the handbrake, she said to us, I'd like to apologise in advance, she's Korean, for my Asian driving. And for the next hour, she, she needed to invoke that apology. So I said to this girl who's, of Asian extraction, um, why don't you get your mum to park it for you? And her mum looks across the four seats uh, and says, ha, I no good parking either. <laughs> Their challenge was not due to a lack of effort, it was due to a lack of direction. That, she put in, a lot of effort, oh, get right this time. Lot of effort, very bad direction. Effort plus direction equals progress. So my question today is very simple. Are you headed in the right direction? Now, look very carefully at this question that I'm asking today. I'm not asking the question, where do you want to be headed? I'm asking the question that, that with your life pointed wherever it's pointed right now, are you currently headed in the right direction? Because it's direction, not intention, that'll get you to your preferred destination. Do you understand that? If you open your Elevate app, uh, and click the Bible, it'll take you to a letter that Paul wrote. Paul was one of the heavyweights of the early church. And around AD 50, 50 years after Jesus rose from the dead, don't forget that bit, uh, Paul preached in this new part of the world. And, and on the basis of his preaching, he was able to set up a church there, a place called Philippi. And uh, Paul didn't tend to stay leading local churches. He tended to, to launch them and then uh, identify a leader, train that person up and leave the, the local church uh, being led by that person. But Paul still played an active role um, overseeing the churches and, 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 and teaching them and encouraging them and checking in on them regularly. And uh, so this point that Paul's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, uh, circumstances for Paul had changed since he was there and started the church. In fact, Paul was now in prison. He was in prison for preaching about Jesus because Jesus, even though he didn't talk about political things, he was a threat to the local power bro brokers, which was the Roman Republic at the time. And so they threw Paul in prison for something as simple that we take for granted as preaching about Jesus. So Paul writes a letter to them um, from prison. And actually some of the, the theme of Paul's letter is in response to what he'd heard that, that, that they were concerned, the church in Philippi, were concerned that with Paul in prison, the, the spread of, of the gospel, the spread of the message of Jesus would actually be retarded, would, would slow down. And so Paul wrote to them to, to encourage them, to, 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 to reframe their perspectives, which is really one of the important things uh, in leadership is don't just settle for people telling you the circumstances, but often you have to help reframe them because hopefully in some cases you'll have a, Better perspective, but I'm getting ahead of myself now. All right, so Paul wrote to the church in Philippi and he told them about what happens 
what was interesting to me reading this letter is he didn't actually spend much time telling them about what had happened to him. And this is one of the, the, the mistakes that we, we make and we can get stuck in. I taught two weeks ago about the need to face the facts that there's gonna be things that happen in our lives that don't feel like progress at the time and don't deny them, but don't get stuck on them. Don't settle for just focusing on them. Yeah, that may be what happened, but it's not the whole story. So Paul, he didn't actually spend very long talking about what happened, about the circumstances. In fact, he very, very quickly uh, moved over to talking about, yeah, I knew this spelling was gonna really, there's no spell check on a whiteboard. There's an invention for you, Jared. Figure that one out if you could by the time I preach with a whiteboard next. Paul very quickly moved across from what over to why. And, 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 and here's the thing. Paul realised that at that particular moment in time, he was in prison and he was in prison until the Romans said that you can go if they were ever gonna do that. And so at this particular moment in time, while he was in prison, he had no control over the what. He couldn't change the what. And when you can't change the what, you get to, if you choose to, switch your focus on to figuring out the why. You get some time to think about the why. And so Paul started to tell them about the why. And he wrote this, verse 12, he wrote, I want to report to you, friends, they're freaking out, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. It is what it is, but it's not what it seems. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. See, here, this is the what. Paul starts telling about the why. This wasn't a setback, this was a setup. God was using this for something that the Romans hadn't intended. In fact, God used it for the exact opposite thing that the Romans had intended. So Paul, instead of giving them a description, oh, I'm in prison, you know, life sucks, blah, blah, blah. If good things never happen to bad, bad things never happen to good people, not true. So he didn't, he didn't talk about it. a description. What Paul did instead, Jesus, didn't take that long in rehearsal. Instead of giving just a description of events, Paul gave an interpretation of events. See, in life, accurate interpretation is critical. A number of years ago, uh, my then boss and I were traveling in Indonesia, speaking at churches and uh, particular part of this uh, trip, we were in um, the island of Java, Renati, on the east coast, in the second largest city in Indonesia, Surabaya. And uh, we were speaking at a church there um, who had uh, locations all around the city um, and uh, met, I think they had like 75 locations around the city or so, it was just like unbelievable. But their, their, their HQ church uh, is the largest wooden dome structure in the world. It's a, it's a church auditorium that they built that seats 25,000 people. And uh, it's surrounded by four mosques. It's like, it's hilarious. Um, and, uh, and listen to this. You listening? Their first Sunday morning service, which is their smallest of the day, because it starts at 6 a.m., 
And this is a suit-wearing church. So people turn up at 6 a.m. Well, actually, they don't turn up at 6 a.m. They turn up at 5.45 because they understand if you're on time, you're already late. They turn up suit and tie, ready to worship God at 6 a.m. See, now you understand why it's the smallest service of the day because it's 6 a.m., right? 7,000 adults turn up at 6 a.m. in that church. And a little bit old school church um, where the preacher or preachers and my boss at the time, Phil, he was preaching. I was gonna be shuttled somewhere else later in the day to preach elsewhere, but I was there to support him. We, we had to sit in the big wooden chairs on the stage in our suits. This is old school, very freaky. And um, anyway, important thing, and it was to be spoken through a translator, the, the message. And, and um, so the important thing when, you, when you're preaching with a translator, it's not just... It's not just translating the language, like, you know, word for word, like English to Bahasa. You've, you've also got to understand some of the cultural nuances because some of what you say might not translate culturally. So, so what, what, what we do, we're in the habit, if you're ever preaching uh, somewhere where you're working with an, uh, a translator, is you meet with them ahead of time, typically the day before, and you break out your notes and, and just walk through, like walk through the whole message that you're gonna preach. Will this joke work? Will this story work? Do you understand what I'm getting here? Yep, yep, cool, 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 great, great, great. So the translator is on the same page as you. They've been able to maybe correct some things. They go, oh, no, that won't translate. No, no, culturally, that won't come across. You might need to tweak that. Yeah, no problem, fantastic. So you go in there, you know, eyes wide open and confident because uh, interpretation really matters. So we're in the hotel lobby the day before we're gonna preach and, um, and Phil's uh, translator walked into the lobby about 3 p.m. Saturday to meet him and said, uh, Haro, uh, Phil Abeka. No, that's Japanese, yeah. <laughs> So it's offensive. Um, he said, hello, uh, Phil Baker. Uh, I will be your interrupter. And Phil looked at me and said, oh crap. My interpreter can't pronounce the word interpreter. This is gonna be a problem. Well, got through the walkthrough, turn up the next day, Phil's preaching. Phil's preaching a message on trying to, you know, how can, we, how can we understand just how big God is? Like, you know, because we say God's big, but like, how big's big? You know, like, well, he's really big. Yeah, but how big's really big? And so you try to use metaphors and Phil's working through different metaphors. You know, if you think this is big, God's even bigger than that. And if you think this is big, God's even bigger than that. And, uh, and uh, Phil got to the, the crescendo where he was talking about, man, uh, the biggest uh, 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 creature on the planet is a blue whale. And in this 25,000 seat, massive wooden auditorium dome, says, you know, a blue whale uh, can stretch from that side of, of, of the auditorium all the way over to that side of the auditorium. And I'm sitting back there on my little throne with all the other uh, big wigs. And I'm looking at 7,000 Indonesian people who are just looking at each other like this while Phil's explaining just how big this big blue whale is, to give them an idea that if you think a blue, a, a blue whale's big, God's even bigger than a, a blue whale. And, uh, and uh, you know, they'd been through things the day before. Um, and just, uh, the people are... And um, anyway, 
end of the service, we went, we went back to the green room and the pastor of that church, Alex Abrahams, he, he speaks English as well. So he's sitting back in the, in the throne uh, row with me, but he's understanding the whole message. And uh, he says to the interrupter, oh, you know, it. Oh, he's Japanese again. <laughs> He says, he says to the interrupter, uh, Phil's using the word whale and you've been translating that as bird. <laughs> so for the last 45 minutes, there's been 7,000 very confused Indonesian people thinking, oh, this bird, a bloody big bird. <laughs> Why I never heard of such a big bloody bird. <laughs> Interruption, I mean, in, interpretation is critical. You know, marriage is a cross-cultural relationship. I know some of you know that, but like, it's like, oh, that explains why it's so difficult sometimes. It is. It's a cross-cultural relationship because you've been brought up in one culture. And I don't just mean country of origin. I mean everything. Values, expectations, how you would define progress versus your spouse. Workplaces are full of cross-cultural relationships. And, 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 and the only thing oftentimes you have in common is you work for the same company. And yet you're supposed to achieve the same mission together. So it's, it's, it's important for us to be able to interpret things correctly. Now, just before I go on, let me qualify that, however, because when I say interpreting things and interpreting people and interpreting your spouse and interpreting your workmate, I'm not talking about you writing speech bubbles and thought bubbles over their head. Don't, don't interpret oh, what they probably meant was or what I assumed that they meant was. No, <laughs> go in the back room and you heard whale but they said bird or vice versa. You, 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 you qualify, you, you seek understanding because interpretation of what actually happened, it is what it is, is not always what it seems. And faith is very much an interpretation. See, interpretation doesn't necessarily change the what, but it gives us a better understanding of the why. And if we have a good enough why, we can almost always endure any what. And Paul did this. When he wrote to them, he said, I wanna report to you, friends. Don't freak out. My imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. See, we've highlighted that word actually actually is an interpretation, actually is, yeah, it is what it is, but actually it's not what it seems. It is what it is that the Romans have put me in prison to try and stop the spread of the gospel, but actually what's happened is the gospel's spreading more than ever. See, actually is a shift. Say this after me, shift, Say this like, so like humans can hear it. Shift, Shift. Happens. happens 
with functional faith, shift happens. Because with functional faith, we look at a set of circumstances, I'm in prison and say, yeah, it is what it is. Actually though, it's not what it seems. It was intended for the spread of the gospel to stop, but actually it's going further than ever. Why? Because Jesus, not the Roman Republic, has the last word on who gets to hear the gospel. Shift happens. Now, between verse 12 and verse 18, Paul had been, he's writing to them because he'd also heard reports of other preachers that were coming in and filling the void that, that had been left by him. Which, which you think is a good thing, right? Like Paul's out of commish, bring in the bench, let them be the starting five and, and let's see what happens with that. And that's exactly what happened. However, a number of these uh, bench preachers who, who were now in the game, they were preaching with wrong motives. They were trying to get in the limelight. They were hoping to become as, as famous and as popular as Paul. They were hoping to, to, to build this, the level of influence that Paul had. R- totally wrong motives. Which you'd think was a bad thing if all you were looking at was the description, the what. But through the lens of faith, Paul was able to give an interpretation. And he said, about these other preachers, well, how am I to respond? Well, I decide I don't really care about their motives, whether mixed, bad or indifferent, because here's the deal. Every time one of them opens his mouth, Christ is proclaimed. So I just cheer them on. Shift happens. Different perspective. Paul interpreted things differently to the church in Philippi. And here's the thing. What you care about will influence what you spend your time on. If you care about the accumulation of money and possessions, then you will spend your time and energies focused exclusively on the pursuit of money and possessions. Here's the thing that I know about money and possessions. Money and possessions and your pursuit of them are one of only two things that you can't fake when it comes to following Jesus. You can can tell me everything about how much you love Jesus. And I say, sure, yeah, good, I I believe you. Uh, let, let Let me ask a question though about how you prioritise your money when it comes to following Jesus. Now the question is, show me your bank statement. The other one you can't fake is how you spend your time, but anyway. And I'm not saying that to put anyone down. I'm saying that if that's what you care about, that's gonna be the direction that your life will go. And if you care about being popular, you'll never stand up for anything that the people around you, that you disagree with them on because you don't want them to reject you even though you don't agree with their position. Next year, I mean, next uh, month, we're, we're, we're teaching a series from the book of Daniel and the life of Daniel. And one of the things that Daniel had to do is he had to stand up against culturally what everyone else was doing, including the king. And it will put him in a life-threatening position. But that's sometimes what God calls us to, to stand up. Now, I said before, I'm gonna land this right now, that we'll put up with any what if we've got a good enough why. And the key to having a good enough why is, is to have clarity on what your purpose is in life. You don't have to put your hand up, but, but just ask yourself the question, whether you've ever wondered 
what your purpose in life is. Whether you're 20 something, 30 something, 40 something, 50 something, 60 something. I guarantee you, many of you, if not most of you, and possibly all of you, have at some point asked yourself the question, what's, what's my purpose in life? And you're gonna be glad you came today because I'm about to tell you what your purpose in life is. It's like, as far as that question goes, it's about to be game over. Anyone interested? It's real simple. Your purpose in life, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to bring Him glory. I can't drop the mic, but I can drop the pen. And Paul knew that about his own purpose and his own calling. And so Paul, instead of walking through life with a situation by situation description, he made the shift that he was gonna walk through life with an eternal interpretation that no matter what happened on any given day, good, bad, or ugly, that he was gonna look through the lens of faith, the functional faith that he'd been developing and interpret that through his calling, his purpose, which is to bring God glory. And this is what he went on to say in verse 20. And this, you know, if, if, if you think that following Jesus means that nothing's ever gonna get difficult, that God's never gonna call you to do something that you're gonna find uncomfortable, you got a pretty messed up theology because that's not true. If it was true, Jesus would never have gone to the cross because that was tough. God, I thought that bad things don't happen to good people. What's this cross business? Sometimes God calls you to, but if you know the why, then you'll endure the what. And this is what Paul rounded out what he said at this point to the church in Philippi. Verse 20. How about you ping that one up there? I can hardly wait. He's in prison with this incredible sense of anticipation. I can hardly wait to continue my course. It's going swimmingly well. This prison food's not as bad as they say on the internet, Regan. I don't expect to be embarrassed in the least. On the contrary, everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known, regardless of whether I live or die. That is interpretation. Let me ask a question before we wrap up today. And it's a question around your eternal perspective. The question is simply this, have you made a decision to follow Jesus? Yes or no? And I'm asking that question now because we're gonna give you an opportunity to say yes to that question, are you following Jesus? And if you're not yet following Jesus, right here, right now, in a moment, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to say, yes, Jesus, I wanna follow you. And all I want you to do, for those of you that have never said yes to following Jesus, is put your hand up. God will see your hand, you can put it down, then we'll just quickly pray. But uh, we never want to leave this place without giving you an opportunity to say yes to following Jesus. So, right now, If you've never said yes to following Jesus, now's your chance. Put your hand up, say, yep, I wanna start following him right here, right now. When I see a hand, you can put it down. And then we're gonna pray. 